Welcome to the herd and thanks for listening. We're happy to help you have informed conversations with your healthcare providers. But please do not treat anything we say in this or any of our episodes as medical advice. Even when the guests are physicians, they're not your physician. If you enjoy this sodcast, please like it, share it, give it a good rating, and follow, and help more people find their way into the Ruminati herd. If you have suggestions for improvements, please let me know. Howdy, everybody. Welcome to this episode of the Meet Your Herdmates Sodcast. I am so pleased today to be joined by one of the original Sod Sisters. Um, I'm, uh, yeah, put that on your resume. Uh, <laughs> so, Dr. Georgia Ede, thank you very much for joining us. Oh, well, it is just a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm proud to be part of the herd. And, and we are better off for it. Um, so for people who don't know who Georgia Ede is and how could that possibly be the case, um, you are Harv sorry, Harvard trained, uh, board certified <laughs> psychiatrist, and you're based in Western Massachusetts. We'll talk about a lot of that, but, um, I first became aware of you at an ancestral health symposium in 2012, where you were giving a presentation that made me kind of go, wow, that's really interesting stuff. So over the years since then, you've been, I think, is it fair to say that you've been an early uh, participant in the field called nutritional psychiatry? Is that fair? I, I think so. I mean, there, there aren't, well... There, there are different branches of nutritional psychiatry. You know, the sort of old school branch was, you know, using supplements instead of medications. Um, and that, that branch goes back quite a ways. And I was never really part of that branch. But this okay. new branch is about, you know, thinking about the quality of one's diet, like dietary quality and the metabolic quality of the diet and how that might influence brain health. And so uh, there are not very many of us doing that kind of work, um, just a handful really around the world, but it's taking off all of a sudden, really in the past year or two, suddenly all kinds of articles are popping up in scientific journals about, uh, about this topic. So it's really exciting field and really empowering for people who struggle with mental health problems, which is many, many, many people. So I remember you making this radical statement about the connection between the brain and the body uh, and, and scientific discoveries. And, and so uh, I, I don't want to mess up your line, if, if, <laughs> <laughs> but basically that um, science has conclusively proved that the brain is part of the body. Yes, yes. I, I I don't know if you remember that old uh, <clears throat> was it uh, some kind of a toothpaste commercial or something you know four out of five dentists and four out of five scientists agree that the brain is part of the body. <laughs> okay, good. I like it. Um, so there's there's a, a number of things. I, I spoke with Amy Berger and the energy issue, um, and and you've spoken about that as well on the. The other part that is becoming as fascinating to me is just the question of what it takes to build a brain 
and a nervous system as well as a body. And so when we, as I am, becoming more and more aware of the issues of global sustainable food systems and human beings in other parts of the world, primarily low and middle income countries, this issue of the nutrition that the expectant mother, the nursing mother and her child need so that the brain develops properly, so that that person can achieve their potential um, as a human being. Um, and so you've helped me a number of times kind of clarify there's nutrients that we get from animal source foods. There's nutrients we get from plant source foods. Sometimes they're labeled the same, but they really aren't. Some of those are only from animal source foods. Some of those are own, are best sourced from animal source foods. So I know that's a lot. I'll help us through that conversation, but I really think that's important because a lot of the story is that we must have these, we can get these from plants in some cases. So let's start with the things that it takes to build a healthy brain. I, first of all, thanks very, very much for starting with that question because that is the fundamental, I mean, literally the question um, that, that's going to determine the future mental health of the human race. It is that important. And if we get this wrong, it can have consequences, negative consequences for generations. And, and we really don't talk about this enough. And so I'm really glad you're highlighting that. And that's, that's really, when I learned uh, about not just what it takes to build a healthy brain, but, but where best to get those nutrients, um, I, I felt, became really passionate about the topic and wrote a lot about it and spoke a lot about it because especially young women, uh, not just in this country, but around the world, have the, many of them have the wrong information about what a healthy diet is. And unfortunately, um, you know, for better or for worse, women bear the responsibility, those who decide to have children, of feeding the brains of future generations. And, and you know, that is, it, it's, it's critically important. So your question is, what does it take to build a healthy brain? And the answer is, all of the essential vitamins and minerals and, you know, the, <clears throat> all the B vitamins and uh, uh, vitamin A and uh, every, every vitamin, every mineral that we already know is essential. And it takes protein and fat, but certain types of fat are particularly important. Um, so you need to have everything you, you would think you would need. It's actually not that surprising. Most of it makes perfect sense. And most of it wouldn't surprise anybody, except when it comes to the fat. <laughs> so um, uh, you can, you can get protein from plants or animals, your choice. But if you get the protein from plants, you have to, in many cases, jump through some hoops or contend with some challenges in order to get the nutrients you need from those, from those foods, because those foods aren't just sources of protein. So if you're looking at I mean, you know this very well. So if you're looking at, you know, say a piece of fish or if you're looking at a bean, um, yes, they both have protein in them, but they're not the same quality protein. And then what else is in those foods? Well, the fish has all kinds of other things you need, whereas the bean, not so much. And, and not only does the bean, is the bean generally fairly low in most of the nutrients we need, 
It doesn't include some of them that we need, and it includes things that work against um, extracting and using the nutrients in the bean. Uh, so it's not the same. And so, uh, so with protein, it matters. But if you carefully construct your diet of, you know, with plant protein sources, you can get the proteins you need, and 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 maybe if you supplement a little bit, you can get the other nutrients you need. But one thing that really most people don't understand is about the fats of the brain to build a healthy brain in the beginning of life. So just before pregnancy, during pregnancy, and and uh, the the first the first two years of life, really the first thousand days of the human being's life, the brain is developing very, very rapidly. And it needs a, you know, really rich sources of all of these micronutrients and 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 uh, especially these fatty acids, uh, DHA and arachidonic acid. So DHA is an omega-3, and arachidonic acid is an omega-6 fatty acid. These exist only in animal foods. They do not exist in plant foods. So, and you, it, these, these are extremely important signaling molecules. They're important for the development of the brain. They're important for electrical activity, for cell communication. They're important for the immune function of the brain. So if you don't have enough of those molecules, the brain is not going to develop properly. And you may never get another chance to, to undo whatever developmental damage may have been caused by the lack of those nutrients. So the, the, I, I'm convinced by the science, no matter how you look at it, that the developing human brain needs animal fat. And uh, you can supplement your way around it. Nowadays, we now have algae oil supplements that contain uh, DHA, for example. But um, but even, even just a number of years ago, that, that wasn't possible. So um, these, these fats are incredibly important and really misunderstood. So uh, I, I, I think that the plant-based philosophy that's become so popular around the world could have a lot of unintended consequences for developing children that we may never be able to repair. Um, several things to pick up. Um, I, in, in the literature, in, in people working, so for example, FAO and other organizations, they talk about uh, nutrients of concern um, in the sense of them being lacking. And I'm not sure, thinking about it right now, whether DHA shows up on the list. Mm. Typically, it's things like zinc, iron, B12, uh, calcium. Um, and and I, I have to check that. I, I wouldn't want to make any firm statement on that. But clearly there's this range. The, there are a number of nutrients that tend to be low, especially in the diets of people who are living for whatever reason based on cereal-based diets in mm -hmm. the low and middle income countries. And the thought of supplementing them is not a viable approach when you go outside of Western Europe, Western, you know, and, and North America. It's a different reality. And yeah. yet it doesn't take much animal source food to provide what's needed to fill out that diet. Um, 
And so, again, we have conversations in one part of the world that can affect the other part of the, but they don't, they're, they're not appropriate to the rest of the world. Um, so, um, now, yeah, a number of questions and my brain gets full. Forgive me. Yeah, my, mine too. <laughs> yeah. Um, so... Now, I, I watched you, I was cramming for the interview, and you can see it didn't work. Um, <laughs> will I never learn? Um, there were two presentations that you gave last year to a, to a CrossFit audience. Mm -hmm. One of those um, was looking at three specific, well, it was the, the, the myth-making uh, well, um, I, I have the title right here. Yes, uh, brainwashing, but it was, um, oh, what was the name? Brain, of it? Was it brainwashed, the mainstreaming of nutritional mythology? Thank you very much. You're welcome. Um, and it, what was, so you brought in an interesting take on that, but you also, uh, perspective on that, insight is the word. Um but you also, in looking, for example, at the IARC cancer report, but if you could just talk about that chain of events that gave us what currently is, everybody knows that, red meat, processed meat, blah, 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 blah. Because I found it quite remarkable when you told it in, in the way that you did. And if you can't recall, I'll try to prompt you through it. So we start with the press announcement. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So, so there are, the, in that presentation, what I, what I tried to do was, um, uh, was was trying to explain to people where we where these myths have come from about animal foods being unhealthy, and they really primarily come from uh, three very authoritative documents, very influential documents. So you know, one is the USDA dietary guidelines, one was the uh, World Health Organization report on meat and cancer, and uh, one was the uh, the uh, Eat Lancet uh, report. Uh, in early, it came out in early 2019, and and so each one of these reports, the the USDA dietary guidelines came out a long time ago. Um, WHO report on meat and cancer was 2015, and then the the Eat Lancet was 2019. And each one of these documents becomes progressively more and more anti meat um, in its messaging, to the point that the um, Eat Lancet document um, uh, essentially recommends strongly recommends and wishes to enforce that the entire world eat a plant-based diet, eat a, a very, very low meat to no meat, really eliminate animal foods from the diet ideally. So um, it's a very extreme position. And, and all of these documents, they're, they're really weighty, um, they're impenetrable if you try to read them, they're really, really difficult to read. Um, and they also, um, they're written by very authoritative people often very influential people and very and affiliated with very uh, prestigious institutions. So the, the WHO report on meat and cancer that you're talking about in 2015, they released a, a two page press report proclaiming to the world that red meat probably causes cancer, processed meat definitely causes cancer. 
Um, and uh, it, it was literally two pages with just, a you know, um, I think 20 references in it. And it was taken as gospel immediately um, before the full report, which is, I can't remember how many hundreds of pages long, uh, came out two or three years later. And nobody even looked at it or talked about it because everyone had already taken this two-page press release as gospel. And when you look at the evidence evidence uh, that they use to support these anti-meat arguments, there's no there there. Uh, there is just nothing there. When you actually look, if you look at the epidemiological studies, which some people in your audience may know that epidemiology is just questionnaire-based guesses about food and health. They're not scientific experiments. Um, so even the epidemiology, these, these guesses, were split right down the middle about whether meat is or is not associated with colon cancer. And, and you know, right down the middle. So what are you going to do with that? And then there are just a handful, I think six, experimental studies, extremely small, and only three of them, two and a half of them actually, were done in humans. And they were so poorly designed that uh, you can't make heads or tails out of what, what they mean. That They're meaningless. They're very small. They were never reproduced. <clears throat> that is the, the, the evidence base for this worldwide proclamation that red meat causes cancer. There is no evidence at all. And that, that, I'm sure that's the best evidence. If that's the best evidence you can find, uh, that, that's pretty sad. So it suggests to me that something else is going on. You know, some other force is driving this message that is not about science and that's not about um, uh, uh, concern for human health. I, I, you know, and I don't pretend to know what it is, lots of theories, but, you know, a belief, uh, you know, uh, repeated over and over again can start to sound like the truth. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what's happened. Well, and I, as I recall, you, you actually read the references, the papers that were referenced in the press release and went through them to get how many were actually in, I love your description of the rats, you know, they're, they're bred <laughs> to be susceptible, they're injected with a carcinogen, and then we see if whatever the treatment was increased or decreased their rate of getting cancer. I mean, it's, 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 it's ridiculous. But beyond that, they actually cited studies saying things that the study itself didn't say, um, as I recall. So mm -hmm. they're, they're misreporting. Um, and then, of course, they're failing to report anything that would seem to be at least cast out. And you had a quote from one of the um, board or, or committee members uh, who said something about uh, the experience. Did, did yeah, so that was David Klerfeld, uh, uh, who is a scientist with the U USDA, and he, he sat on the committee um, that uh, generated this report, and he said it was one of the most frustrating experiences of his professional life. Um, and, and what he was referring to uh, was that there was a lot of um, anti-meat pro-plant bias among, among many of the members of the committee that was just hard to penetrate and hard to reason with. And that uh, the, ultimately the report reflected that bias over the factual information they had available. And, and that 
potential conflict of interest, personal bias, was not clearly stated. No, it never is. And I think, I think part, it may be that they're not aware that it's a bias and that maybe, they, I don't know, yeah. um, they may not be aware that it's a bias and that, you know, this is just, of course, we all accept this as fact. So why should this be something that we disclose? Yeah. This is just supposed they're to be true. They're true believers. Yeah. They're true believers. Um, and, uh, but, you know, I, I think that all of us uh, should, should re report our biases. And I, I, I work hard to do that in my presentations to say, you know, this is where I'm coming from and why. Um, and, and you can decide if, if that colors how you think about the information I'm about to present to you. Mm -hmm. um, and, but, but, uh, but, but many times that's not, that's not the case in, in the research world. That's not the case, um, certainly on the WHO Cancer Committee. You have to look it up and find and learn for yourself that most of the people on the committee had really staked their professional lives and reputations. They, their work was really about trying to show that plant-based diets were healthier. Um, and other guests have spoken about belief systems that predispose people um, to wanting to um, make that case. Um, there's lots of reasons that people think that this might be the case. Many times those arguments are really outside of their expertise, but it informs how they go about working within their discipline. Um, and, and then, as you said, it was about four years later that we got the Eat Lancet, which is a remarkable story because it's sort of a bait and switch that they say one thing in all the press release, but then when challenged behind the scenes, so to speak, at least one of the people involved kind of does a 180 and says, no, 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 it wasn't about that. It was about this, which is just, it's kind of remarkable behavior. It is, uh, you know, human beings are, I'm a psychiatrist, right? So human beings <laughs> fascinate me. <laughs> you don't have to be a psychiatrist to find them fascinating, but uh, you know, Reading the section of the Eat Lancet report, which I think is about seven pages long, that, that focuses specifically on nutrition, the, the nutrition and health, because the, most of it is about the environment, um, the environmental impact of, of diet, uh, that also didn't hold up to scrutiny. But the seven pages about nutrition, um, it, is, it is just astounding when you read the report, which you're actually reading, uh, so even though on the cover of the report and the summary of the report and the recommendations that come out of the report say uh, the conclusion is that, you know, we would all be better off both for our health and the planetary health and human health and animal health will all be better off if we stop eating animal foods and we eat plants. Um, but when you read the document, they're actually making an, ironclad, an ironclad, ironclad argument for the opposite. Mm -hmm. So they repeatedly acknowledge in the report, you can read it for yourself, they repeatedly acknowledge the superiority, the nutritional superiority of animal foods, the critical requirement for animal foods, for growing children, for pregnant women, for teens, for, for aging seniors, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the malnourished, the impoverished, they repeatedly say animal foods uh, the, the animal foods are required in these populations. And, and then everybody else in the sort of lower risk populations, I guess, um, needs to supplement 
because and, and what that suggests to me is that is that um, plant-based diets are nutritionally insufficient, full stop. Mm-hmm. But they don't ever say that. They spell it out and then they conclude the opposite. They know no one's going to read that report. They know people are going to trust them because they work at big institutions and they've got all this, you know, money and power and influence and titles. They know no one's going to read that report with a critical eye because if you do, it's laughable. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I recently sat in on something that again is of that level um, involved with the United Nations and it was about protein and um, one of the one of their fundamental documents was this table that attempted to show um, that animal source protein um, one of its negatives was probably causes diabetes and cancer and heart disease. I mean, they, they were very certain. They colored it bright red. They were very certain. <laughs> but about it must that. be true. It must be true. <laughs> and it's so, and, and I've sat in presentations where I see p- reports that they're actually trying to say how many people die every year due to a lack of fiber in their diet. They're counting fiber as an essential nutrient. Uh, I've been out of graduate school for a few years, so I I may have missed something. When did fiber become an (laughs) essential nutrient in the human diet? Do you know that? Yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, as you know, uh, you know, fiber by definition is indigestible. And uh, I mean, uh, it, it doesn't provide any nutrients to the body. Um, doesn't mean you can't eat it. Doesn't mean it may not have other, you know, benefits for you as a, a human being, as you as an individual, but there's no dietary requirement for fiber. It doesn't provide anything essential. Um, whereas animal foods provide everything essential. Um, so, so some reason we, we, we've got it so upside down. Um, so, you know, fiber is, uh, you know, it's part of plant foods. And so if you eat plants, they contain fiber and there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. Um, but there has never been any, any evidence, any scientific evidence that if you take fiber out of the diet, um, that human beings suffer any nutrient deficiencies of any kind. So in fact, fiber can, in many cases, function as a sort of anti-nutrient by interfering, like physically interfering as a, as a physical barrier um, to extracting nutrients from, uh, you know, from inside plants because those rigid cell walls get in the way of um, being able to extract nutrients from inside of the plant cells. So, so it's really everything, it's, it's upside down from the truth. Uh, there, there are plenty of people who feel better when they remove fiber from their diets. There are plenty of people who feel perfectly well when they include fiber in their diets, but, but fiber is not essential. It doesn't provide any essential nutrients to, to build or maintain a human body. So the, the explanation perhaps for how we came to believe that was, again, based on a lot of associational epidemiological data um, where and and always interpreting that data through a lens 
of it must be the fat that's causing heart disease. People who eat more of these healthy foods are taking in more fiber. I think um, uh, it, it, at one point it became attractive because it wasn't what was in, it was what was removed from the diet. And right. so that idea of processing out the fiber, that must be the secret for why now all of a sudden people, but it, it, it is so it's hard for, well, one of the things we don't use food frequency questionnaires in dairy cow nutrition. No, <laughs> we, we know not they, to, they, they don't fill out your questionnaires. <laughs> no, 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 no. We, <laughs> they lie. Um, <laughs> It's hard to keep the pen in that little hoof. <laughs> yeah, well, it's not so little. Um, in some cases, uh, and and here's something else that I need to work on, um, on figuring out how to express. We in forage agriculture have been teaching farmers for many years about how variable the nutritional co uh, quality of hay can be. So a field of alfalfa and another field of alfalfa can be very different for a number of reasons. Hmm. Um, and from cutting to cutting, the same field within a year can be very different, et cetera, et cetera. So when all we had was book values, that's what we used. But as we learned more and more, we realized, no, we need to test every lot of hay because it varies so much. Well, huh. hay is not the only plant food that varies from lot to lot. Uh -huh. And when we have soybeans, for example, hmm. they can vary tremendously in crude protein content as well as individual amino acid content, as well as anything else we want to quantify about. But all we use is a I'm, I'm pretty sure we're not testing every lot that goes into the manufacturing process. I'm pretty sure we're not printing new labels for every lot that comes out of the manufacturing process. So people who are trying to pay attention to macronutrient composition, whatever, whatever, I'm beginning to wonder where they're they're not being given the information that they need to even do that even if that was a worthwhile exercise yeah and that's really interesting to me and 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 the other thing that brings up is you know that um so many foods in the supermarket have a nutrition label um if meat had a nutrition label um you could we would e you would easily be able to see how nutritious it was but I think people really are completely blind to it because, uh, well, first of all, it'd be very difficult, you know, to label accurately, but it's difficult to label just about anything accurately as you're pointing out, mm -hmm. but to at least take a, take a stab at it, um, like you do with any other food and people would see that it contains all of these things that we need. Um, and, uh, but because it just, it, 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 it doesn't have a label, people can project onto that food, whatever, beliefs they have about whether it's nutritious or not or dangerous. So many lines to chase down. So <laughs> in, in, in Little Shop of Horrors, you talked about some of the anti-nutrients and other components. And I don't, 
not only are plants green, but, you know, they're friendly and, you know, the birds are singing and the sun is shining and it's all wonderful. Um, but there's a, there's a reason that those anti-nutrient compounds are in those plant source foods. Mm -hmm. There is. So, you know, every, every creature, every living creature needs to defend itself. Um, every living creature is trying to take over the world and we're all competing with each other. So, uh, you know, plants can't defend themselves by you know, growling or chasing or running away. Um, you know, they, they're, they're sitting ducks <laughs> and, and, but, but, but they're not defenseless mm -hmm. and they're not innocent. Um, they're, they're armed with chemical weapons and, uh, to, primarily to fend off tiny things, you know, like things like, you know, worms and bacteria and fungi and, but to fight off living things with living cells. And, and they're very, very good at it. That's how they've evolved. I mean, they've been around a lot longer than we have. So they've evolved these very sophisticated chemical weapons. And, and we have evolved alongside these plants, to be clear, you know, and we have mechanisms in our bodies if we're healthy, if we're healthy, if we have a healthy gut lining, if we have a healthy immune system, um, you know, we we are designed to be able to process a lot of these plant toxins, like and either not absorb them or minimally absorb them, and or rapidly eliminate them. We treat them not as welcome nutrients. We treat them as uninvited guests, and we get rid of them as fast as humanly possible. So. And and that's and so that's that's what evolution has done. It said, okay, this this is bad for us. Let's figure out a way to get rid of it. Um, so it doesn't. It, it will it will welcome in the vitamins and minerals, um, but it won't welcome in the toxins. And the strange thing about these toxins is that you know if you were to if you were to talk with somebody who believes that we need to eat a very high plant diet, um, you will actually hear. Some people defend these plant toxins as beneficial <laughs> in some strange way. Um, and one of the best ways they love to do that is by saying, oh, that has antioxidant properties. This, this chemical weapon, um, you know, let's say that it's a neurotoxin, uh, uh, which in the nightshades contain neurotoxins, um, uh, uh, acetylcholinesterase inhibitors that poison the nervous system. And let, uh, so, you know, oh, it has an antioxidant, pro they'll, they'll say that there's an antioxidant properties to a lot of these plant compounds. Now that's true in a test tube, um, uh, but it's not true in the human body. So, so if you take most plant antioxidants, unless it's a vitamin like vitamin C that we welcome in because we need it. Um, unless you, uh, uh, un unless it's a vitamin, if it's a non-essential nutrient and it's a plant antioxidant, like, I don't know, curcumin or um, phytic acid, you know, something in plants that we can see from piles of literature is potentially risky to the human body or anti-nutritional. Um, and uh, you, you can, it, it may have antioxidant properties or anti-cancer properties. It might be good at killing cancer cells in a test tube. Um, and then they say, well, that it must mean that it's good for us. And not only can we not absorb a lot of these things, um, but if we could, they could be harmful. And so um, it's, it's really the lengths that people will go to to defend this myth 
um, about uh, about these non-essential plant compounds is really uh, striking. And I think it just speaks to the power of, uh, you know, emotion and belief over logic. And, and that human beings are largely driven by emotions. Uh, we're capable of logic, but, you know, feelings matter. And what we believe can can really seem very true. And we can come up with ways to to justify or rationalize. We're very good at rationalizing. Um, no, I'm not. What do you mean by that? <laughs> What are you suggesting? <laughs> and we all have to, I mean, all of us, even, even those of us who understand or, or at least think we understand uh, the important benefits of animal foods, even those of us who defend animal foods in the human diet, the, 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 that they belong in a human diet, we have to watch out for the very same thing. Um, but uh, I, I do think that um, it's very, very important not to examine just other people's, um, you know, uh, other people's beliefs and, and wishes about what's true about food, but also to examine our own and, and make sure we hold ourselves to a really high standard. Because what we really want here, it's not about being right. It's not about, you know, getting more followers. It's about human health. It's about improving public health and the quality of human health, uh, mental health, physical health. Um, and, and it's important to keep getting closer and closer to what's true. Yeah, I I was struck by your opening um, um, conflict of interest slides in in the two talks that I most recently reviewed, and I too, although I may fall short of my own goal, um, I'm not interested in us and them. I'm not interested in diet wars. Um, it, it's 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 all us. There is no them. Yes, and right. it absolutely, like I said before, when it comes to the actual nutrient content, if somebody is is wanting to follow a plant only diet, and that's a point I want to come right back to, I'm not convinced that they've got the information they need to do that properly. Which mm -hmm. means that with their sincere desire to do something, they may very well be harming themselves in some way. Now, there's lots of things people can do that harm themselves, and I'm not interested in controlling anyone's behavior, but the information needs to be get gotten out there, and it isn't. Uh, uh, that, that's just very clear. The necessary information has not been well communicated. The point that I'd like to kind of maybe at least throw out there, and you can come back at me later about it, is why do we call omnivorous vegetarian? Because if I'm understanding, I've got carnivore, I've got vegan, I've got omnivore. But because for, and, and you, if you want to speculate about it or whatever, why, <laughs> why do we use that word as opposed to omnivore? Oh yes, uh, that's a really, really interesting question. I've never thought about that before. It's a really interesting question. Um, it, it's funny what kind of slips by, what we kind of you know just absorb uh, and and never think about, and and that's an example. I, I've never thought about that question. So, um, because as you know, vegetarians do eat animal foods, but they don't eat animals direct. You know, they eat animal products, but they don't eat the animals themselves. And I think. 
uh, for some people that makes a really huge difference in their comfort level uh, with their diet. But a vegetarian diet, which means, uh, you know, a, a diet that includes plants and eggs and or dairy is a extremely different diet, so different from a vegan diet because it contains animal foods. Um, it is a far healthier diet, much easier to construct properly. And I know many, many, many healthy vegetarians. It's harder for me to think of somebody who eats a, an all plant diet who doesn't have health problems of one kind or another, but I don't know everybody. Um, but, but I will say, I will say that I have had very, very healthy vegetarian patients over the years. Um, and, uh, but I, 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 I struggle to think of a single person who eats an entirely plant-based diet, uh, entirely like all plant diet. And of course, then there are the, okay. the, the ovo, lacto, pesco, pollo versions of, but they always want to tack that in front of vegetarian. And, and it's just something that I've been wrestling with how to put my arms around that. I think I have some ideas, but they're not terribly informed. So I, I just seeking input at this point. Uh, yeah. And, and, you know, it's interesting. I mean, you can, you can uh, construct just about any diet to be healthy or unhealthy. If, if you, if you don't have the right information, um, you can, any diet can get healthy. Um, you can even construct a, you can even uh, uh, construct an unhealthy carnivore diet. Oh, and uh, it, it just, it, it's about knowing what your body needs mm. And about so you know, sort of optimizing, maximizing the the good stuff and minimizing the bad stuff, and making sure you get everything you need. So um, it's I, I love what you said about this. You know, us versus them. It's all us. We are all in this together, trying to figure out what's true. And I think that uh, it, it's it can it's very very unfortunate. Sometimes some influencers in the field of nutrition on, on all sides of the debate don't always give people all the information they need. They'll give them some of the information, but not all of the information. And that can be really dangerously misleading. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you're the one that used the plant biased or, or if it was someone else. Um, yeah, I know I, yeah, I know I got planty <laughs> nutrients from you. Um, um, oh, that was it. I don't want to use brand names, but there's a certain product made from pomegranates. Ah. And it's promoted as, as giving you these all these antioxidants. And you could look at blueberries as another one. Um, and so, but then you said something about just how much of that we can actually even absorb. Oh yeah. It's minuscule. It's, it's infinitesimally small. Um, I'm going to say the brand name. It's Palm oh. Wonderful. Okay. Palm Wonderful comes in this a sexy curvy bottle mm -hmm. for four or $5 a bottle. I don't know what it is now. God bless um, America. <laughs> I'm jealous. What can okay. I bottle? What can I bottle? Um, yeah, so it's uh, uh, you know it, it it touts itself as you know having these you know cancer fighting, antioxidant rich, you know, um, you know load, loaded with powerful disease fighting antioxidants, and and it is loaded with antioxidants, but they are plant antioxidants, 
And uh, we, we either don't absorb them at all, or we rapidly transform them into something else before they even have a chance to be absorbed. So the absorption rate is something like, don't quote me on this, it's either 0.01% or 0.001%, something very, very, very small. And so, uh, you know, you're getting antioxidants, um, uh, but, but you're, I mean, you're, it's in the bottle, but, but your body can't access them. And to make matters worse, and this is such a common problem, what else is in that bottle with those antioxidants? And, in, you know, it's an entire bottle of sugar. I think it's like 32 grams of sugar. And sugar is a powerful pro-oxidant. It's a promoter of oxidation. So, and you're going to absorb every molecule of that. So you've got, you know, an entire bottle full of pro-oxidants and then a teeny tiny bit of antioxidant. And so how is that? It's actually, you're buying the exact opposite of what you're being told you're buying. Mm -hmm. And, and this is a huge, huge problem across the board. Most antioxidant supplements and most anti antioxidant um, products are uh, paired with sugar. Mm -hmm. Of course. And uh, nobody ever talks juice. about taking the pro-oxidants out of your diet. They talk about adding the antioxidants. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, that's kind of, I wonder why that would be. Um, <laughs> so the other part of the plant-based diet that I react badly to is the simple fact that humanity is already on a plant-based diet. The majority of our energy is coming from plants globally. The majority of humanity's protein, and I'm putting air quotes around that word, is coming from plants. Um, you know, wheat is the single largest source of protein in humanity's diet. Really? Really. Single largest source. Uh, we get the humanity gets more of its protein from cereals than from all the animal source foods combined. Wow. And and you gotta put the air quotes around protein because when we have plants, it's it, it what we're really talking about, and people have heard me talk about this before, is it's crude protein. That that's the official designation. We just you know kind of clean it up for the label. You know we're running out of space, so we'll just put protein in there. It's not really protein. It's not amino acids. It's any nitrogenous material. It's any nitrogen in the food sample multiplied by six point two five to estimate its crude protein content. We've been doing it since the 1880s, roughly. We got lots of data. Um, it's okay with ruminants. It's not okay with simple stomached animals. And the swine industry ain't been doing that for 40 years. Might be time for us to change. Um, so it, it, Why break with tradition? Well, yes, exactly. <laughs> and tradition has served us so well. Um, but, but this is the thing that I mean when I say that I, I, I'm really convinced that people don't have the information they need to do what they're trying to, and think they're doing. I mean, that they, they've been told, and so they're trying to do that and it's just not going to work. And then it ripples out when you start looking at bigger questions like food systems and, and, and addressing food security on a global basis. And then you have people like, Eat Lancet come forward, and they they they're not addressing any of this. 
let alone all the games that they're playing by admitting that their plant-only diet is not appropriate for the vast majority of human beings. And yet, they at the same time will be promoting a plant-only diet. It, 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 it gets frustrating at some point. But again, I, I, I'm trying to train myself to, to be a pleasant human being and, and, and just deal with the information. Um, you, what have you been up to? I, I, looking back, I don't think I, I've seen you since low carb Denver in 19. Yeah. It's, I haven't seen you either. I haven't seen anybody. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. It's uh it's, and it's, 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 yeah, it's really sad. I mean, I, I'm, I miss seeing people. I miss, you know, going to meetings and, and talking with, with you and my other colleague friends and, and, and with, with people from around the world um, who attend these conferences and just make them so, so much fun. And so such, such vibrant places of, for exchanges of ideas, I really miss that. Um, hopefully we'll get back to that world someday. Um, but uh, I've, I've been using the time <clears throat> that I'm not been, you know, traveling and making presentations and so forth. It's, there's been a silver lining which is that I've been able to focus on some other projects that have been uh, really on the back burner and I've long wanted to work on. So um, I started a, a, a virtual practice. So I do consults with um, uh, nutritional psychiatry consults. Um, and uh, I've been doing that for a couple of years now. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's really grown and, and it's really been a tremendous source of um it's been very rewarding and interesting and, and really I've learned a lot. I learn from everybody that I consult with. Um, and uh, it's, it's really en enriched my, you know, my clinical knowledge. Um, and, and the other thing I've uh, done is I've put together, uh, created a, uh, an online training program for mental health clinicians who are interested in learning how to use nutritional psychiatry, the principles of nutritional psychiatry and ketogenic diets in their clinical practices. And um, they're like small uh, virtual online classes, like four to six people per class. And, you know, um, and, and that has been really wonderful. Um, again, I learned from every, everybody who takes the class, but I've put it together um, to address a lot of the, uh, not just the sort of the science and the safety questions about ketogenic diets, and, um, but also um, the, the, the practical elements of how do you safely use these diets in clinical practice. Um, some, a lot of uh, clinical wisdom that goes on, goes into that class. So I mean, I've really been enjoying that. So I wouldn't have been able to, it was a lot of work to, 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 to put that course together and I wouldn't have had the time or the sort of the, 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 uh, the bandwidth to be able to really sit and, and, and put that together because it took many months to put it together. And uh, so those are some new things that I'm doing, really focusing a lot recently on clinical, clinical, and, and, and even getting involved in some research projects too. So um, hopefully once things, once the world starts spinning on its correct axis again, <laughs> um, there'll be new things to share with people, um, you know, from, from this clinical work. Uh, so I, I look forward to that at some point, but what, what have you been doing 
And uh, I, I mean, I, I haven't, I haven't seen you for so long and uh, I'm, I'm so accustomed to, I don't even have to plan it. I, I just, I'm so accustomed to seeing you wherever I go. Um, what's going on in Western Oregon and, and, and are you working during the pandemic? How, how's that all working out for you? Well, so fortunately, my day job is in agriculture. Agriculture has been deemed an essential industry. Uh, uh -huh. So uh, now I haven't been in the office, but about three days out of the last however many months now. I mean, um, so there's that. Um, I must admit that I went through a significant period of just... Uh, Really? I mean, just I, I, you know, the, the calendar got flushed and there yeah. were some significant things that seemed to be in the offing and they just kind of changed. And it took me a while to kind of, okay, now what? And, and this effort um, started back in November with the, the sod cast. And, you know, that's, that's been... <laughs> good on a number of levels. One, the response from people, but two, getting to see people again and, and have conversations and feed my brain, um, which it was not getting fed, the isolation. Um, you know, I am part of communities in recovery and those took a big hit. You oh, know, yeah. we always meet in churches. Well, you know, they, they kept the liquor store open, but they closed the church. So isn't that something? Uh, so in the summer it was okay. We could meet out on the back lawn, but spring and fall in Oregon, probably you need to find. So we're fortunate. We have a couple. So, you know, that got back into pattern. So that's good. Um, you know, so there are a couple things that uh, I'd, I'd love to talk about maybe offline because, um, but the biggest one is I get to be part of, um, the program committee for an international conference, the, the international grasslands Congress will meet in 2023 in North in, in Cincinnati, Ohio. Mm -hmm. And this will draw people from all over the world potentially. And the title of this is grasslands for soil, animal and human health. I like ah, it. So I'm looking for people that can, you know, help review papers uh, in submission. I'm looking for people to be plenary speakers. We'll be announcing by the time this episode comes out, um, we'll, we'll have started putting out first call for papers. And again, these are government, these are institution, these are um, not so many uh, producers except from the U.S. So that's one of the efforts um, that I get to be a part of. And again, trying to build these bridges between, you know, across the production to consumption span. I mean, this is mm -hmm. a huge area with all these little disciplines, not little, all these disciplines, and we're not good at talking with each other. And I think we have the emergence of a really good story from beginning through public health. Uh, I just, That's great. I mean, because you're, you know, who, who better? I mean, the, the, the uh, this is an area of passion for you and deep knowledge. And so bringing people together to tell that story that needs to be told. It's good. Yeah. So some good things, some good yeah. things. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. There's always, there's always a silver lining around every, every yeah, There's got to be a um, pony in here someplace. Right? <laughs> you know that joke? <laughs> you do know what I'm referencing, right? Uh, no, I just thought it was a cute saying. What, what are you referencing? Um, little boy comes into his bedroom and he finds a massive pile of horse manure. Uh. And he's all excited. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. That's funny. Um, so that that's an optimist. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, there are those, uh, there's a lot of things to, uh, to, that's a good skill to have these days. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Well, and and partly too, I'm getting to know people who are doing work overseas. Mm -hmm. And and well, and that was a question I thought to ask you. You went to was it Indonesia? Yes. And that was back in 2019, was it? Yes, it was April 2019. It was an amazing experience. Yes. I was. Uh, I I don't I don't know I don't I don't even know. Is it unless you have something specific you want to ask me? I mean, there's so much I could say about that mm. experience. It's it's been uh, the people. I mean, the people that I met there were so full of love and so full of energy and enthusiasm. And uh, there's an enormous, enormous low carb community in Indonesia. Um, it was started by one person. Um, uh, Tio Prosetio, and he started Ketofestosis Indonesia. And I can't remember how many hundreds of thousands of people that belong to this organization, but uh, helping people get healthy by telling them the truth about food. And it's just an incredible community. Um, and it, it's just, yeah, I, 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 I still, you know, feel very, I get, yeah, I, I was really, really moved by, by my experience there. There's just a whole different culture um, in uh, Southeast Asia of, you know, how people interact with each other. And there's just so much joy and just no, <laughs> I don't know. It, it, it just felt so good. Like people, people seemed, and I could be wrong, but they seemed happy, happier than most of us it feels to me are in our culture there's just a lot more closeness a lot more connection a lot more sort of the priorities are different i'm i'm so glad to hear and i'm glad you had that opportunity and the little bit that i've done to get out and and see a wider reality and again it's part of the animation of this is something that transforms lives um, and it's, it's not big, you know, utopian top-down vision. It's, it's the helping your neighbor kind of approach, which speaks to me. And, and so getting, again, trying to take the message from you and your colleagues and introduce that message to my agricultural tribe. Because when I go to those meetings and look around, it's like, well, you know, the statistics, pretty average. I mean, you know, um, and then I think agriculture has a story that hasn't been well enough told. Mm. And especially the ruminant animal agriculture tribe that I'm most familiar with. And so these same mythologies that you mentioned about nutrition, I would say 
plus or minus exist in other messages that people are subjected to. And it it's used to reinforce the story that for whatever reason, as you acknowledge, there seems to be something going on here. And it could be because there are new businesses that are trying to launch. It could be because of belief systems that this is a fundamental part of. It could be any number of things. And I don't want to get into any of that. I'm not qualified. You know, how much fertilizer do you need to apply to your crop? That's what I'm qualified for. So I've been, I'm always, be, always best when I remember my qualifications. Um, so I've asked you, I, I, I love the time. I love the conversation. Um, and I wish we could go on further, but you've been very generous and I know you're busy. But if you have any questions that you'd like to ask me specifically, it would only be fair to give you the chance. I would love, I'm, so one of the things that's always been hard for me to, and it, I, that I've never delved into enough and I know that you'll know the answer to this and I, um, uh, something that so many of my patients ask me and my colleagues and I just, it's not some something that I've had time to delve into and I might not even understand if I did. So. Can you help me understand, because this um, is the difference between a grass-fed animal and a grain-fed animal. Let's, let's take a cow, <laughs> a grass-fed cow and a grain-fed cow. Um, can you kind of boil down for me and anybody else who's listening, um, what are the differences nutritionally um, between those two animals, um, it, uh, if, if there are any? Um, yeah. And, and, and I've never been able to really articulate that very well. Okay. So the, the, the very shortest version that I can give you is that the literature has reports of quantitative differences in a number of substances. Those are variable. They're not mm -hmm. in any way consistent. Um, and what we don't have is the biological significance of those differences. Okay. In some cases, those, those differences are pretty small, even with the variability there that, you know, you take the mean and you can compare it to the mean. And it's like, really, I don't think so. Um, one of the advantages, for example, there's a lot of concern about the plant omega-6 content in meat and one of the benefits of ruminant animals is because of the rumen, their fatty acid composition will always be less impacted by diet than swine or poultry or fish will be. Huh. Um, and so the beef or goat or lamb or what have you is not a rich source of either omega-3 or omega-6 hmm. when you look at it compared to other foodstuffs in our diet. So um, people have looked at vitamin E content, people have looked at carotene content, people have looked at, they've looked at saturated fat content for a while. People were convinced that saturated fat was bad. They even tried to look at cholesterol content and make claims. And again, a lot of these sort of pro claims started a little further back in the era of 
you know, fat causes heart disease and dietary cholesterol is a risk factor. So it get it, it all got confounded with that message as well. So that's a, a brief introduction into it. I think one of the graphics I've used shows um, the omega-6 and I think I'm right on this, that omega-6s are all classed together, whether they're from plants or animals, and they're counted uh. equivalent, just like with omega-3. And so uh. you see those listed in a table. And then it, even if you look at the, the grain-finished beef, and then over here you have walnuts, <laughs> And you had to break the scale to make the bar for the omega-6 from, you know, a handful of walnuts show up. So whatever you think you're achieving by going for grass finished or grass fed, you best not be eating some other foods that frequently would be considered perfectly okay because you're going to be consuming far more of the omega-6 from those foods. Yeah. So is there, um, aside from, I, I would imagine, uh, the health of the planet and the health of the animals, um, is there any, in your opinion, uh, let's just take your opinion. Mm -hmm. In your opinion, is there any nutritional benefit for the human being to eat a grass-fed animal over a grain-fed animal? I'm not convinced by the data. Okay. Especially when we're dealing with a population that's so sick to begin with. Well, it goes without saying. I think that I, I, would, I, I hear what you're saying, which is that um, if there were any differences, there's, they're just a drop in the bucket compared to, you know, all of the other influences in the diet, which have so, which are much, much which sort of overshadow um, whatever minor differences yeah. there. And, I, and as far as you know, there are the, uh, no other interesting differences between the two. Um, no, really. Um, and again, I, 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 I use that example of the wooden barrel with the different length staves. In yes, it. I've seen that. That's neat. Okay. Yeah. So, so until we address the hyperinsulinemia, until we address the essential fatty acid, the protein deficiencies, all of that, it's somewhere, I'm sure I can see something showing up, but we're not there. And, and I'm convinced most people, the vast majority of people are not there either. So, and, and just, you know, health of the planet wise, um, that's even something that we could push back if we had the time. The, the shortest version that I can give you is many people think that grass fed has lower emissions than, you know, grain finished. And the reality of a ruminant is the more fiber, the less digestible, the ration, the higher the methane emissions. Now we mm -hmm. can do lots of things and we are, we're working on that. But just again, people have a vision and oftentimes that vision doesn't line up with the reality. Yeah, so th thanks because I'm always trying to understand that better. Um, but you know, don't don't spend as much time thinking about it or learning about it as you do. Well, you, you've got more than enough on your plate. Um, one of my lines is: when you improve your health, you are improving the world. And so, if each of us would, and and the converse of that is frequently the people that talk the loudest about 
saving the world, changing the world, are doing it to distract themselves from doing the hard, humbling work of changing themselves. Hmm. Right. And hmm. if we would do that work each individually, yeah, the world would be a better place. Um, that's my sort of approach. Um, but if we could get people to value their own health more, and I would suggest appropriately, then a lot of other things would just kind of yeah. shift. I mean, it is true that, you know, when, when patients ask me, um, you know, a lot of people make an assumption that in order to follow a keto diet or a low carb diet or a paleo diet or a carnivore diet that the the animal foods need to be of a very very high quality and that and expensive and so forth and i mean i do think i mean i do think ideally that would be great i do think that that would be you know best but not everybody can afford that and not everybody has access yeah. and i would rather uh, you know, I usually will say, you know, I'd rather have you having some some high quality animal protein in your diet um, to meet your nutritional needs, even if it's not perfect, even if it's not the perfect animal food, um, uh, then uh, to not then to have something uh, that's going to raise your blood sugar and insulin levels instead. I mean, that, that's a no-brainer for me, like the, com comparing those two. So, you know, not letting the perfect be the enemy, the enemy of the good. Yeah. Um, but I think that, um, you know, I, I still advise people, and I, I'm, I don't have a lot of science to back this up. It just sort of intuitively makes sense to me. Maybe, maybe I'm making a mistake there. That, you know, that it would be nice if all of the animals on the planet, including ourselves, would eat the diet we were meant to eat. Uh, whatever that means. So, um, uh, if that's if that's even possible, but or 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 coming as I mean, coming as close as we can. Sure, but we don't live in that world. Um, yeah. Humans don't live in that world. Animals don't live in that world. Um, but uh, yeah. Yeah. Thanks. That's I mean, interesting. some things in theory make sense, but you live in Western Wash um, Massachusetts. I live in Philomath, Oregon, so we don't live in theory. Um, <laughs> I, I Are you would... in the part of Oregon that was affected by the wildfire wildfires over the summer? Oh Where yes, very much so. Um, yeah, about forty or so miles away were some big ones, so we got a lot of smoke. Fortunately, that's all we had to deal with. But yeah, um, yeah. I I would you know try to respectfully explore the quality conversation because mm -hmm. I'm not sure that that's well enough defined for people to be making a lot of the statements that they're making, especially when we know that there are people for whom the management is not the issue. The issue for them is that you are consuming animal source food and they don't think that should happen. Period. Oh, I, I, rec I recognize that. Yeah. And I so, recognize so that. but then in addition to that, I think that a lot of the quality um, perceptions aren't well founded. Mm. Um, and so we may be scaring people away from exactly what they need to be eating that's most affordable and accessible to them without good reason. And maybe there is something there that needs attention. I, you know, let's, let's just have an open conversation about it. For example, um, the whole question of processed foods 
right? We, 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 we class processed animal products with processed plant products. Right, right. And when I spoke with the uh, meat scientist from North Dakota State University, and he tells me that when we take meat and we make bologna out of it or salami or bacon, we actually increase its digestible, indispensable amino acid score. We make it more nutritious. Hmm. Oh, well, this is cool because now we can take a lower value product and and maybe even give it some shelf stability, you know, make it more accessible to people. And so now this whole question about good and whatever takes on a whole new appearance to me. Um, so, and, and then one last thing uh, from my perspective is um, in the whole conversation about sustainability, we have yet to give an honest consideration to the burden of chronic illness, whether that's physical, whether that's mental, okay? And one estimate um, is that if the typical type two diabetic in America could get off their medication, oh gee, what would that be? Um, in any case, if that were, so, okay, speculating wildly, if that could happen, they would reduce their greenhouse gas emission footprint 29% more than if they shifted from a high meat to a vegan diet. Hmm. Essentially the equivalent of taking a car off the road. Gee, I wonder why we're not talking about that. But well, that, that's also, I think that's also important to talk about. Um, yeah, no, it's, uh, uh, I, I understand the, the, the sort of the theory of relativity there. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Hmm. So it, there, there's just lots, like I said before, there's lots of good news. There's lots of good news and we need good news. Um, we sure the, do. The good news was that you accepted the invitation. So thank you very much. Oh, thank you very much for the invitation. It's, it's, it's the invitation, Peter. It's really nice to to connect and um, and hello to everybody who who's watching. Uh, it's nice to see you. I wish I wish I could see you, um, but uh, I hope everybody's doing doing well and holding up okay. Um, and hopefully, we'll all see each other again soon. Real soon. Thanks a lot, Peter. Thank you, Georgia.